Hi, everybody. If you haven't already met me, I am Carla. I help um, lead worship around here. This is my friend that you all probably know, Miss Brenda. Um, so <laughs> we have been talking about how we can get to know each other a little better and our stories. So we came up with this thing that we are calling Beyond Hello. So maybe just like a little five-minute thing. We have already met this week, and I will tell you, we talked for about an hour. So cutting it down to five minutes is, we're going to try, right, Ms. Brenda? So we're going to do this every second Sunday in the hopes that we will get to know each other a little bit better. If you would like to be a person that comes up here, please tell me or tell Laura or tell Jeremy, because um, we would love to, to just get to know you more. And so, Miss Brenda, are you ready to go? You got an open mic. Yes, you do. <laughs> all right. So I will tell you all that I went out to Miss Brenda's house. She lives on this beautiful. Tell them where you live, Miss Brenda. I live on the Motley Lane off the cemetery road. I live on a 137 acres. 137 acres. By myself. Yeah. No farming on it. Just because it says farm. You got to hold your open mic up. Okay. Yeah. There you go. It's a farm, but, but we don't farm it. Yeah. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I learned along the way that you, we, I learned that you spent your life raising your boys. Is that right? That's what you did for years? Yes, I did. I, I didn't work at public work. I stayed at home and took care of my husband and my three sons. And as you people out here that's got kids, you know, that's a full-time job in itself, you know. And, yes, it is. Uh, that. But I learned that that's not the only thing Miss Brenda does. I have a picture here. I have a couple pictures, I think. She took me back in her house and showed me. Do you all have some pictures? Your dog. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. She, she showed me. If, if we can't get the picture up, that's okay. I went into this room, and there are all these dolls. And I thought, what a cool doll collection. And then she told me, what is so special about these dolls? Uh, I purchased these dolls at uh, uh, yard sales and uh, things like that and I didn't want them unless they didn't have clothing on them. That's the ones I wanted because I sewed and made all the clothes for the dolls that I have. I've uh, been a seam I was a seamstress and I sewed and made I made Steve's clothes in the set. She made blue Yes. She made blue jeans. And he, you know, my three sons and my husband, they, they wore the clothes, you know. And uh, some people would have said, well, weren't they embarrassed that they had homemade clothes? But they weren't. They was okay. They probably, well, I saw the doll clothes, so they were good. That's why they were embarrassed. She has a doll that had, oh, yes, okay, look at those clothes. Go to the one. Can you go forward? Yeah, look at all that. She made all those clothes. And then look at the, look at that wedding dress. Miss Brenda made that. I know, right? It is prettier in person, which is why Steve wasn't embarrassed to wear her jeans. Because look at 
those clothes. They look so good. Okay, next, we want to know, how long have you been at Broadway, United Methodist? I've been here nine years. Uh, I was invited to come by Leela Willis, and Laura was pastor here at that time, and uh, she introduced me to Laura, and instantly, I had a drawing toward Order. I don't know what it was, and I told her that my son played music, and of course she relayed that <laughs> to this guy, and in a few Sundays, uh, Steve was up here playing his music, and he's, uh, he started out when he was nine years old playing a guitar, and took a few lessons, did the rest on his own. He's self-taught. <laughs> so tell us what's one of your favorite things about being part of this community here uh, I love these people out here I love them you made a difference in my life when my life had gone downhill I'd lost my husband and I lost my son and I, the church I was going to I just didn't feel like I was getting what I needed and I came out here, and I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. You better. You better. When, when God says, Miss Brenda, come on, come on, I'll say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. You mentioned that you had, you've gone through some hard stuff. Life hasn't always been roses for you. Is there anything you would like to tell us that might, if some of us are going through one of those hard times, because we all are going to at some point, right? So what makes you, you, like you're so happy and you, you've gone through some really hard times and you bring joy to every one of us, so. I've always uh, liked to make people laugh and have a smile on their face because I think joy is a wonderful thing. And I, uh, I just, I want to just touch on this one thing. Uh, be aware of anybody you know that might be contemplating suicide. Uh, my youngest son took his life. And as a mom, you just die inside. You, you never get over it. It's been, uh, it's going to be 10 years, and I still feel the effects of it. But if I can convince one person to change your mind, and it's not as bad as it is, that, that would please me. Thank you, Ms. Brenda. Okay, we're going to end on one more thing, maybe a little bit of a fun note here. We just need yeah. you to tell us about this. <laughs> Why does this gorilla ride around with you? <laughs> and everybody looks at my car and they think I've got a dog in my car. <laughs> I wrote uh, two, I've written two stories about Mr. Gorilla. This is Mr. Gorilla, you all. If the kids was here, they would tell you it's Mr. Gorilla. And I wrote these two stories, and I'm on my third story now. I don't know whether Carla's read it yet or not. No, I haven't got to the third one. I'm, I'm wondering if Mr. Grill is going to find love. 
That's, that's where he's headed. Because <laughs> my nephew, he found a, a gorilla that uh, it was the same size as this one, but it was a girl gorilla because it had a, a ribbon around its neck and everything. So we knew it was a girl gorilla. Well, all of a sudden, I was thinking, this guy needs a girlfriend. <laughs> Instead of me being his girlfriend, he needs a real one. <laughs> and so that's that's where I'm going with that. Okay, well, we, okay. we are all on pins and needles to find out. <laughs> thank you, Miss Brenda. Uh, thank you all. Now we know Miss Brenda just a little bit better. You yeah, take your man there. Good morning, everyone. I got to tell y'all, I'm feeling a little bit insecure because I don't think I can compete with Benny's magic trick or Miss Brenda, but we'll give it a shot, all right? <laughs> uh, we are two whole weeks into this new year, and generally on uh, this week of the year here at Broadway, uh, we like to take a chance on this Sunday to look back a little bit and look ahead to where we're headed. We generally call this the State of the Church Address, which sounds very official, doesn't it? Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I could take that approach. It does kind of make me feel like I need to put on a suit and my highest heels and brush up on my most it. dignified oratory skills and assure you that the State of the Church is indeed strong. Um, I could take you through some some of the statistics, um, which you actually received when you came in today, you've got a great publication that Molly drew in our communications director put together for us. What you might not see there is particular things to this campus. I can tell you that this past year we have seen an increase in worship attendance. We've seen more children and youth participating. We have more people connecting in community. We've seen an increase in giving here at this campus. All good indicators, all great things for which I'm so grateful for. But it's kind of hard to, to summarize in statistics what I think matters most. You know, it's hard to quantify um, the transformation that's happened inside of us. It's hard to quantify uh, the, the bonds that have developed between us. It's hard to quantify the ways that, that we have shared vulnerably, vulnerably among us. I can't say that word today. Vulnerably. Yeah, I'm going to quit. How we've gotten vulnerable this past year. Um, it's hard for us to quantify the ways that you have gone out from this place and been the good news of Jesus in people's lives as you have loved them. It's hard for us to quantify the lessons that we have learned and taken to heart. Uh, for example, one of the, the lessons I've learned this past week is that I am not really a suit-wearing, high-heel-walking, um, slick-speaking, and uh, results-oriented kind of leader. And in the past, I really felt like, you know, that's what a leader looked like, and I needed to look like that in order to lead well. But what I've really discovered this past year is that it's all right that I'm not a leader that looks like that. This world really doesn't need me trying to be anyone else. This world needs me being me and coming fully alive. 
And so, while I don't know much about the halls of Congress or polished politics, I did grow up in the home of a coach. And that means that while I don't know a lot about how to give a state of the church address, I do know a thing or two about some awesome locker room pep talks. So, um, I'm going to come right out of the gate and acknowledge that some of us might have had different experiences with coaches. Some of our experiences might not have been that great. I myself had a high school basketball coach um, who was known for breaking a few uh, clipboards during timeouts and half times. And I don't remember so much of what he said as much as the way he said it. There was a whole lot of anger, except for this one night in particular where I do remember what he screamed at us. Uh, we were at Madisonville, North Hopkins. Anybody from Madisonville here? No? Okay. Well, Madisonville, uh, we were playing them. We were winning. We were ahead. And uh, for some reason, our coach felt like we weren't playing hard enough or tough enough. And so he'd like taken a clipboard and broken it up against the lockers. And then he looked at us and said, you guys are so soft. You need to get a job scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins. I don't even know what that means, but it made us laugh like a lot. Sorry, y'all. We're going to make that stop. Sometimes coaches are unintentionally funny. Uh, what we basically did that night is we waited until he stormed out of the locker room and just busted out laughing before we went back outside. Uh, but um, coaches can do this, kind of like uh, one particular coach you might have heard of, a coach that, that coached at North Carolina State and led them to an unlikely national championship, a guy named Jimmy Valvano, Jimmy V. Um, he sadly passed away from cancer, and so every year there's a special tournament that's held in his honor, and they, they tend to show this speech on ESPN. But I want to show you just a little clip of it, of the very first locker room speech that Jimmy V ever gave. Let's watch together. Think about getting up and giving a speech. I can't help it. I have to remember the first speech I ever gave. I was coaching at Rutgers University. That was my first job. All I, oh, that's a, wonderful. And I was the freshman coach. That's when freshmen played on freshman team. And I was so fired up about my first job. I see Lou Holtz, Coach Holtz here. What was it like the first job you had, right? The very first time you stood in the locker room to give a pep talk. That's a special place, the locker room, for a coach to give a talk. So my idol, as a coach was Vince Lombardi. And I read this That's book called Spence. Commitment to Excellence by Vince Lombardi. And in the book, Lombardi talked about the first time he spoke before his Green Bay Packer team in a locker room. They were perennial losers. And I'm reading this, and Lombardi said he was thinking, should it be a long talk, a short talk? But he wanted to be emotional. He said, be brief. And this is what he did. He, he, normally, you get in a locker room, I don't know, 25 minutes, a half hour before the team takes the field. You do your little X and O's, and then you give the great Newt Rockney talk. We all do. Speech number 84. You pull them right out. You get, you get ready. Get your squad ready. Well, this is the first one I ever gave. And I read this thing, Lombardi. What he said was he didn't go in. He waited. His team was wondering, where is he? Where is this great coach? He's not there. Ten minutes. He's still not there. Three minutes before they have to take the field, Lombardi comes in, bangs the door open, and I think you all remember what great presence he had, right? Great presence. And he walked in, and he just walked back and forth like this, just walk, staring at the players. And he said, all eyes on me. And I'm reading this in this book. And I'm getting a picture of this Lombardi before the, his first game. And he said, gentlemen, we will be successful this year. 
You can focus on three things and three things only. Your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. And he like that. And the rest of it, they knocked the walls down. The rest was history. I said, that's beautiful. I'm going to do that. Your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. That's it. I had it. I'm, listen, I'm 21 years old. The kids I'm coaching are 19. All right? And I'm, and I'm going to be the greatest coach in the world, the next Lombardi. And I'm ready. And I'm practicing out in a right wing website locker room. And the manager's telling me, you got to go in. Not yet, not yet. Family, religion, Rutgers basketball. All eyes on me. I got it, I got it. And now finally he said, three minutes. I said, fine. True story. I go to knock the doors open, just like Lombardi. Boom. It didn't open. <laughs> I almost broke my arm. I was like, you know, it was one that didn't open. Now I'm down. The players are looking. You know, coach, get a, help the coach up. Help him up. You know? And now I did like Lombardi. I walked back and forth. Right? And I was going like that with my arm. Get the feeling back in it. And finally I said, gentlemen, all eyes on me. And these kids wanted to play. They're 19. Let's go. I said, gentlemen, we'll be successful this year if you can focus on three things and three things only. They said, yeah. They said, your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers, I told you. <laughs> I did that. I remember that. That is not an endorsement of a certain team today. I recognize in this congregation, we have some Packers fans and a lonely Cowboys fan back there. But sometimes locker room speeches are, are heated and harsh. Sometimes they're hilarious. But the coach that shaped me most um, is, is the coach that I live with, my dad. I heard from him a lot of heartfelt speeches. Um, he's here today. If, y'all, if you were here last week, you know he fell asleep during my sermon when I mentioned him. So is he awake or is he in intercessory prayer again back there? <laughs> we're good. Okay. Um, but... Um, my dad, the way that he coached is that his goal was always to love his players so well that they were ready to, to run through a wall, not just for him, but with him because they knew he was going to give it all he had as well. And, um, you know, that's really the kind of leader I aspire to be, not just because I think my dad was a great coach, but because I think that that's the way that Jesus led as well. Um, Near the end of the Gospel of John, we get the great locker room speech of Jesus. And if you open up your Bible and you go to, to find that heading, sadly, you're not going to find it there. Biblical scholars are boring, y'all. They're not nearly as fun as me. So they call it something much more formal. They call it the farewell discourse. But it starts in John chapter 14, and it continues on for three whole chapters after that. And so Jesus did not choose the way of Lombardi or Jimmy V. He did not keep it brief. Uh, But let me set the scene. It is Thursday night in Jerusalem, and Jesus knows that it is almost game time. He knows that it is time. The hour has come for him to die. And so he's huddled up his team in the upper room. All of his disciples are there. And so they they share a meal together. And then Jesus does what he does best. He serves them not just with his words, but with his actions. And this time he does it in this very powerful and unexpected way. He, He gets down and he washes his disciples, his players' feet, one after another after another This humble act of service 
And, and here he is, the leader, the coach. This is a job that's usually reserved for the equivalent of the team manager, for the person who's at the lowest rung of the social ladder. And so no doubt, after Jesus has done this, this surprising and this moving thing for his disciples, he has their full attention. And so with them all leaning in and gathered around in the huddle, finally Jesus gets to the point. He lays out the game plan. He says to them, here's what's going to happen. I am about to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you where I am. That's the plan, but the, really those are the details of the plan. Really the key to the whole game plan working is what Jesus says next. He, he says, essentially, they need to trust him, the giver of the game plan. In other words, he says, all eyes on me. But surprise, surprise, there are indeed some immediate concerns amongst his players, despite the fact that Jesus has prefaced all this by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. They don't like this plan. They want it to go a different way. They have questions. And so first Thomas raises his hand and he says, um, um, Jesus, how can we know where you're going if we, if we don't know what the destination is? And, and so, you know, that's not that surprising for Thomas. If, if you can remember how the rest of his story plays out, we'll see in, in just a few chapters that, that he's not the type of guy that's going to take your word for something. Not even if you're Jesus and you've performed all kinds of miracle before, miracles before his eyes. He wants proof. He wants hard evidence. He wants to know exactly where he is going and all the steps it's going to take, how they are going to get there. He doesn't want there to be any ambiguity. He wants a slam dunk, a sure thing. However, Jesus, when he senses this anxiety from Thomas, he is not at all swayed by it. He is unfazed. He stays calm and he stays connected and he stays the course. Jesus, he just doubles down on the game plan that he's already laid out, saying the same thing, just in a different way. This time he says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he says again, all eyes on me. Trust me, the giver of the game plan. Now, we all know that Thomas was not satisfied with that answer, right? But before he can jump in and ask another question, this time Philip chimes in. And he says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You guys, my coach would have already broken two clipboards by this point, right? But Jesus was far more patient. Jesus, he, he hears this, this, this desire for Philip to kind of uh, have things a little a little clearer and to have some some assurances a guarantee but he looks at him and he says this hammering home just that very same message he says don't you know me philip even after uh, even after i've been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father Jesus explains how the Father is in him and how he is in the Father. He explains that all, how all this time he has been speaking the words of the Father and doing the deeds of the Father. All is this way of saying, again, all eyes on me. Trust me, the giver of the game plan. 
I can imagine at this point that the disciples were starting to see the, the writing on the wall, like there were no negotiations about this game plan with their coach. And so I can imagine them kind of silently resigning themselves and allowing their coach to go on with his speech when all of a sudden Jesus says something that had to raise even more questions for them. Something else that honestly, as a player on Jesus' team, all these centuries later, kind of makes me want to, to raise my hand like Philip and Thomas and, and object to the game plan. But this is what Jesus says. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Even greater things than these. Um, Jesus, like, You've made the blind to see and the lame to walk. Um, you've fed thousands of people with a sack lunch and, and you know, like literally raised your friend Lazarus from the dead just a few days ago when we were on our way here. What could you possibly mean that we are going to do greater things than these? How in the world are we going to do that? At this point, you have to wonder if Jesus is doing that thing that coaches sometimes do to get their team pumped up and ready to play. I know you probably did this a time or two, Dad. Um, and that's like, stretch the truth a little bit, right? It's kind of like in, in my uh, program, whenever I play basketball, they said I was 5'5". Five five. We all know I'm not 5'5", five five, but they wanted me to play a little bit taller, right? And so you have to wonder if Jesus is kind of doing that, saying these words to his disciples to get them excited and ready to go out and play, maybe a little above their normal caliber. But I suspect that if I were in that room and heard Jesus say these words and had raised my hand in the huddle and asked Jesus my question, like, really, coach, greater things than these? How exactly? I have a feeling that Jesus would have given me that exact same response that he has already given to Thomas and that he has already given to Philip that very night. All eyes on me. Trust me, the giver of the game plan. We tend to, um, we tend to always want to, to know all the hows before, before we ever get started. But Jesus, again and again and again, he reminds us who it is that is sitting in the coaching seat. We can trust that he is going to lead us in the right direction. In fact, just a couple of verses later, he starts to talk about why it is it's better for him to go to the Father. Because he's going to unleash the Holy Spirit upon those disciples and upon us. They'll actually be in us always and everywhere to empower us and guide us to do these greater things that he is talking about. Um, a couple of months later, these same disciples that were in that huddle that night, they would find themselves huddled up again in an upper room. And this time, they wouldn't have their coach with them. <laughs> This time they would have seen Jesus crucified and, and watched him be laid in a tomb and then be raised from the dead and walk among them. But now he's ascended into heaven and they are all alone. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is unleashed upon them. And whenever that happens, they know exactly what to do. 
They're, the Holy Spirit, their coach, leads them right out of that upper room into the streets where they start telling people the good news of Jesus in a way that, that none of them really saw coming. You know, they start speaking all these different languages so that everyone around them can understand that everyone, without exception, is invited to be a part of God's family. 3,000 people were added to their team that day. And this new community committed to living out Jesus's game plan, they, they were formed. This community that we stand a part of today called the church. Soon enough, what Jesus had started in a very, very small geographic area amongst a very, very small group of people exploded. As, as those disciples and the disciples of those disciples and the disciples of those disciples start spreading out and going to the ends of the earth, sharing not just with their words, but with their actions, the good news of Jesus. And so everywhere they went, guess what happened? What Jesus got started just keeps multiplying. Everywhere they go, hope and healing and restoration and resurrection takes place as people who are marginalized are included in. And as enemies, even Cowboys and Packers fans become friends. And, and as, as the hungry are fed and the sick are cared for and the naked are clothed and as children who've, who've been abandoned on, on trash heaps are adopted in, the list could just go on and on and on. But all of this happens in the name of the one who had given them the game plan in the first place, Jesus. As they trusted in the giver of the game plan, the disciples did even greater things than these in ways that they could have absolutely never dreamt of and on a scale that they could have never conceived of. What about us? Our coach the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus and that came upon those first disciples, that same Holy Spirit has been unleashed in us. And so will we get all caught up trying to answer all the how questions before we will ever take a step out onto the court or will we trust in the who who has given us that plan? As the Holy Spirit has been unleashed in your life, are there ways that you sense that Jesus is coaching you to get in the game, to get involved in what he started long ago, but perhaps you've been paralyzed a little bit with all these questions, wanting to know how all the dots are connected and how it will all play out? Here's what I know for sure. You have a role to play that no one else can because there will never be another person on this planet that has the same gifts and abilities and experiences and passions and personality as you do. And so the world, it does not need you trying to be anyone else. What the world needs is you being you and coming fully alive. And so over the next year, as we share life together, there are really two truths that I hope all of us will embrace. Two truths that I think if we embrace them are going to guide us to follow that game plan and get out in our world and join Jesus and doing those greater things that he speaks of. And the first truth is this. You have a story that someone else needs to hear. Um, the other night we, we hosted an event here at the church called Right 
something because we could write anything, right? It was hosted by our own Courtney Stevens, who is an author and the executive director of the library. Um, Courtney always undersells herself. You know, she's like, we'll open up to the public. We'll meet over at the Fellowship House. Nobody's going to come. But we had over 50 people from our community that were gathered here around tables. And uh, she spent the first hour of that night teaching us about um, about writing. And, and she went over some, some rules for writing. And one of the things she told us is that all great stories involve transformation, right? They involve going from one thing to another, one place to another, one emotion to another. She even reminded us that that Taylor Swift, who uh, was at a Chiefs game or a Chiefs game happened where Taylor Swift was. I don't know which direction that goes anymore, Leslie. Uh, that she makes millions of dollars singing about this, right? About going from not being in love to being in love and to being in love and not being in love. We're suckers for this stuff, right? But why? I mean, I think it's because all of us are, are on a journey, aren't we? And deep down, all of us want to know that we are not alone. I used to think that I didn't really have a story. Um, I was born into a wonderful family. They had me in church every week. I cannot remember not knowing Jesus in my life. I didn't have this dramatic Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul going from killing Christians to telling the world about who Jesus is. However, now I recognize I do have a story. I have a story of, of being a person who spent most of their life, constantly trying to earn love from God and the people around me. Um, and that made me an anxious mess all the time to, to now slowly learning how to let, let God and let others love me just as I am. And I believe that there is someone maybe in this room right now or out in our world who needs to hear that story, that needs to know that, yeah, they're feeling exhausted and, and they're not alone, that there's someone else who struggles with that as well and that they can move toward freedom. And so what's your story that someone else needs to hear? Over the next year, we are going to encourage you and challenge you a little bit to reflect on your own story, to own your own story, and perhaps even share your story with a trusted friend. We're going to focus on that particularly during the season of Lent, um, but if you want a jump start in that, um, on social media this week and in the midweek email I'll send you, I'm going to share bit by bit um, a guide that Pathway provides that can help you begin to reflect on your story. But that's the first truth. You have a story that someone else needs to hear. And then the second truth is this. You have a calling that matters to someone else. I honestly hesitated to use that word calling because we have mystified this word so much. We made this like seeking out the holy grail, right? Like you have to really, really look for it. And it's almost impossible to find. And then when you finally find it, then you get it figured out and nailed down and you quit your job and you only do that one thing for the rest of your life. And furthermore, we've often made it like into these very official roles that we as a church have already made up and want to stick you into. But I tend to believe that God is way more creative than what we have already come up with. And that he is perhaps speaking to you in a way that he hasn't spoken to any of the rest of us. Your primary calling is to simply love God and love others as yourself. 
That might sound too simple, but that's really the calling that God has given every single one of us. I love the way that our, our good friend Wendell and our friend Wayne talk about this. They would say, your calling is to love the person in front of you. And so think about that. Who are the people that God is putting in front of you right now in this moment? And what would it look like for you to allow Jesus to coach you to love those people as fully as you possibly can? That might not seem like, like, like it matters that much. It might seem far too simple, but I can assure you that you doing that, loving those people in front of you, it is going to matter to them. And not just a little bit, a lot. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Can you imagine it? The impact that we collectively can have together in our world as the Holy Spirit that has been unleashed in us unleashes us to share our stories and to live out our callings. Let's not get all bogged down and figuring out all the hows before we ever get started. But let's move forward focused on the who that has given us the game plan, trusting that he will coach us in the right direction. All eyes on him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so grateful that you and your great love for us could not stay at a distance that you couldn't watch us go through life half living, but that you so desired for us to experience the full life that you made us for, that, that you left the glory of heaven and you came and you walked around with us and you showed us up close and in person what full abundant life can be like. And then not only did you give us an example of it, but then you gave us your Holy Spirit to help us experience it. And so God, as we step into this next year, I pray that we would just be open, that we wouldn't hold back trying to get everything all figured out before we're willing to open ourselves up, but that we would open our hearts wide and that we would listen for your voice and that we would be willing to take steps forward with you, knowing that we might not be able to see the whole path, but that you are good and that you are leading us in a good direction. We ask God that you would help us as we reflect on, on your story, your big story across history, that you would help us find our place in that story, that we would see that that you have uniquely crafted us to be a part of this grand thing you're doing in our own specific way and that we would be willing to say yes to that, that we wouldn't hide, that we wouldn't try to be anyone else, but that we would allow you to do what only you can do and bring us fully alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.